The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. James, uh, second show of the new season. Good to be talking with you. We're going to discuss the labor draft from last night, mixed labor. Some interesting picks here. We'll kind of break down our favorite picks, some questionable picks. Also talk about your latest Farm Futures article, NL East, 90 prospects you need to know. We won't touch on all 90, of course, but we'll talk about the guys who may be on the verge and maybe the guys that topped that Philly system after they traded Sixto Sanchez. Yeah, it's a really rough division just in terms of prospect depth. Uh, the last, you know, the three ones from the American League that I did were all well up over 100 prospects in those articles, only 90 in the uh, NL East article. And, you know, part of that is because a lot of those teams are trying to contend and they're making win-now moves, but part of it is they've just been uh, pretty poor in terms of drafting and developing. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, this division is pretty loaded. I'm excited. I still think the NL Central may be better, just because they don't have a bottom feeder like the Marlins. But 
Uh, being competitive, are you treating this division, the NL East, any specific way in fantasy? Like, are you avoiding NL East starters because you know the competition generally, aside from the starts against the Marlins, will be pretty pretty tough? Uh, no, you know, I, I actually, I think it's, you know, I think the Cardinals and the Brewers are better than any team in the NL East. And I think that there's just kind of, you know, a lot of so-so teams, a lot of like, okay teams that are all going to win you know in the 80s i would think so it's not like these are a bunch of juggernauts it's just really competitive and i mean just getting a few extra chances at that marlins lineup i mean that's that kind of outweighs any sort of you know negative uh yeah starts that you would get from the other ones i mean just I w- i'll stream pretty much anyone against the marlins this year <laughs> yeah one start against the marlins is worth like three bad ones so or three that you just don't use them for on your bench so yeah i'm with you there All right, so let's talk about this mixed labor draft. We were represented by our own Jeff Erickson, the man. Uh, He was picking eighth, like what he did really throughout the draft, especially getting like Marquez after waiting on his ace to get Blake Snell. I love pairing up those two. I mean, that's brilliant. Um, Really, I don't think he had a misstep really through the first half of this thing. I love the Rick Porcello pick. I think he's one of the most underrated guys really on the board for starting pitchers, just so consistent with the workload. You know he's going to throw a ton of quality starts, a lot of wins. Uh, K-rate ticked up too last season. Um, when you look at Jeff's draft, James, what do you? What stands out to you? Were there any you know, picks that he knocked out of the park, maybe ones that he uh, maybe dropped the ball on? Uh, I don't really think he dropped the ball on anything. Uh, I agree with you on the Marquez pick. You know, To me, uh, just based on my valuations he was the best pitcher on the board for a couple rounds before jeff got him like it there were just a lot of pitchers going ahead of him that should not have been uh so that was just an an absolute steal i mean i I don't even know if jeff is all that high on marquez but i mean you don't even have to really be to to take him in the sixth round of a 15 teamer and then just the you know the first five picks before Marquez I thought was just a an awesome awesome base of of talent uh, to go Acuna story get power speed there um, you know get Hoskins you know you, you need a ton of power I mean we, we've said this before but uh, with power sort of being up over the last couple of years um, you, you just need so much of it to compete and then uh, Glaber Torres who you know my sort of personal projection for him isn't all that flashy but it's just kind of across the board uh, awesomeness and it makes him worth a, a fourth rounder so to get him in the fifth round i thought was awesome and then getting an ace in the middle of the third round of a 15 teamer i thought was pretty impressive too yeah this is kind of like that top six is like how i'd want to draft the shakeout ideally for me just you, know, you get a snell guy a guy like snell who's really i mean what's the difference between him and kershaw carrasco bueller I like him more than more than Kershaw. Well, uh, I think the difference the difference is he's better than all those guys. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I like him more than Bauer too by quite a bit. Bauer went in the second. That was shocking. Um, Tyone went a few picks after Snell. We do see, I think, because of the influence and the prominence of the NFBC, more so in expert drafts, we are seeing starting pitching pushed up. That was the case generally in this draft. I thought Jeff played it well though. Didn't have to force the issue with anything. I like that quite a bit. The one uh, misstep I thought was Drew Steckenrider in the 18th. He picked him and was like, well, he's, he's probably going to close for Miami, right? I don't know if he saw the news about Sergio Romo earlier in the day. 
Um, do you agree that it is probably Romo that will just build up the value and then look to trade him? Uh, you know, actually, I hadn't really thought about it too much. Um, I mean, there's going to be, what, like 20 saves to go around in that bullpen? Uh, just, yeah, that's probably Just true. not really a an area that I'm, I'm looking. I mean, I'm sure there's there's someone that's kind of done the math on this, but, like, how many saves would you have to get over the course of a season to be worth starting in a 15-teamer if everything else you're contributing is well below average? Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's kind of an interesting math exercise because, you know, I I almost wonder if you would get more value just plugging in a guy like Ryan Presley without getting any saves than plugging in whoever's getting the saves in Miami. Yeah, man. You know I love Presley. He went in the second to last round of this draft – Pretty amazing, especially given you know, the MLB um, MLB Network show top ten right now, relief pitchers right now. All three of the Saber guys they had on the show had Presley top ten, Ben, ben Lindbergh of the Ringer top three, which was amazing. Did I thought I was the high man on Presley? Yeah, I Clearly mean that not. his you know people haven't really caught up to that. I think you're hopefully going to still be able to keep getting him uh, pretty late. Did. Uh, Am I missing something? Did Garrett Hampson go at all in this draft? He did, but he was pretty late too. I forget where. I'm, I'm um, looking for him on the board because he went in the 11th round to okay. Tim McLeod, who's a great, oh. great fantasy player. He's also the guy that took Ryan Presley. Okay, okay, yeah, I was looking for him to be labeled as a shortstop, but no, yeah, that that uh, that makes sense. Um, I just didn't see him and would have. I guess I wouldn't have been all that surprised if he hadn't gone because I feel like in these early drafts, there's always like a prospect or two who just slips um, quite a bit further than they should have. But yeah, that's a, that's a fair place for him to go. Yeah, the thing with Jeff, he did get Steckenrider. Um, but yeah, it looks like if he doesn't close, he may be just SOL completely on saves. Not a huge deal in like a standalone league, but um, yeah, an overall contest league, I, I need to get some saves. But he can certainly make do here and in a league like this i'm fine with with that approach although i would have taken as you suggested a guy who's just more a more dominant middle reliever um you can just plug in and eat away ratios among the prospects that went here we saw hampson as you mentioned in the 11th round uh, vlad went pretty early i thought later than he should still in the fourth round to uh jason collette paul spore eloy in the eighth round but beyond those guys and hampson any other prospect picks that really stood out? Uh, you know, I I agree with you. I mean, uh, Tim's obviously a great player. I don't. I wouldn't have taken Fernando Tatis in the sixteenth round. I mean, that's it's pretty pricey. Is there a benefit? Is there like a, a specific sort of labor rule that kind of um, makes it easier to stash someone that might be in the minors for the first like three months or something like that? Well, in the league-specific formats, those are auctions, and they do have some unique rules. I don't know if they transfer over to the mix. I don't think they do, but in the league-specific, if you purchase a guy in the auction for a starting spot, they have to stay in your lineup unless they're in the minors or unless they're on the DL or the injured list now, uh, no longer the disabled list. But um, So really you have to – you can't like stream in a traditional sense with your starters – so you have to like leave them in there, but it does allow you to, if you do take a prospect, to swap them out for one of your reserves. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I just I don't think uh, we're going to see Tatis in the majors anytime soon, and I don't think he's going to be all that 
uh, valuable in roto leagues that count batting average. Um, I also thought it was interesting that Jesus Lazardo went in the 15th round and Forrest Whitley went in the 13th round. Yeah, that is surprising. So, um, you know, it's, again, we, we know Forrest Whitley is the better prospect, uh, but it just – it's interesting. I mean, I, I guess I'm not going to argue with someone if, if they're, they're going in the same round or, you know, if Whitley's going around after Lazardo or something like that. But, uh, you know, like I've been saying all offseason, Lazardo's going to be in that rotation at some point in April as long as he's healthy. So that was a pretty good steal. But there were, there were all kinds of steals, really, kind of in that range on the pitching side. Like you had uh, John, John Gray was available in the 15th round, and there were some – you know, lesser starters. I thought, you know, guys like Jake Arietta going in the 14th round. Um, so, I mean, there was, there was value to be had kind of in the middle of the draft on the pitching side. Yeah. I liked like the Mike Soroka pick 20 round 21. thought that was pretty good. We also saw, saw Alex Verdugo go the 26th round. Um, who else was eyeing up here? Uh, Mitch Keller, 29th round. I you know we we see mostly the same kind of prospects go in most of these standalone drafts, um, you know the the number of stashes are kind of limited. But who is there that one prospect that really should have gone in a league like this a fifteen team twenty nine round draft? Is there a prospect that should be going in leagues like this that that isn't yet? Like I feel like there has to be an answer. Like there's somebody who's slipping through the cracks, and I just don't know who it is. Um, let me take a look really quick. Uh. That one I have to research. Yeah, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot. Maybe like Griffin Canning. I don't know. Maybe not. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't. I definitely think Canning's going to be up pretty early this year. I just think that there's a lot of risk there. I mean, that that's something that needs to be sort of kept in mind when it comes to um, pitching prospects that that have sort of limited upside. You. <laughs> There's just as good a chance they come in, get completely shelled, and then get sent back to AAA as there is that they come in and, and help you out. So, um, you know, unless you're chasing kind of premium upside in terms of pitching prospects, I'm I'm happy to just take old guys towards the end of a draft or, uh, you know, guys like Corbin Burns, guys like Matt Strom. Uh, you know, I thought Corbin Burns was a really good value in the early 20s, I think. Uh, yeah, that was nice. Yeah, I don't. I think there there aren't any other pitching prospects we really need to be pushing up. Um, you know, I think people people are getting smarter every year uh, with which which prospects need to go. Um, I just look at these late rounds and it's like, man, where did Kyle Tucker go? It's pretty gross. Uh, let's see here, Kyle Tucker. Hmm, he went in the. Why am I not seeing it? He definitely went. Oh, he went in the 20th round. Clutton Spore. I like that pick. Yeah, I like that value a lot. Uh, did Logan Allen go? That's the name I was going to bring up. He did not go. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I would take Logan Allen over like Mitch Keller, personally, uh, <laughs> just because I think he's going to be up sooner, and I think that he's just as good. Uh, I assume Senzel went kind of around where he should. Um Senzel went in the 15th round. That's pretty early. I mean, that's the same round. He yeah. went between Lazardo and Will Smith. Um, I mean, it, it, I kind of get it. But. It doesn't really look like anyone should have gone who did not go. I think the the one that kind of stands out to me in terms of just things not going 
the way I thought they should have gone is just Tatis going in the 16th. Um, I just have a very different read on how his 2019 is going to go than, than Tim does. I mean, that doesn't mean that I'm right, but, um, you know, I also, one thing I do kind of want to say is that I've, uh, back at the beginning, um, you know, when we were doing the magazine and everything like that, I had, uh, Eloy as the number two prospect, uh, for this year after, you know, plugging in all my like projections and, and spitting out the dollar values and everything, uh, actually, I am on the Robles over Eloy uh, train at this point. Um, just kind of a, you know, the speed. The speed <laughs> pushes him up. And I think Eloy's going to have a really, really impressive rookie season. It's just not going to be the type of season that, like, wins anyone a league where you're you're getting the type of production, you know, you're getting kind of like, Eddie Rosario type of production like it's it's yeah. good but it's it's not going to be something that really kind of shifts the balance of power whereas Robles if he steals 30 plus bases could do that yeah so much easier to move the needle when you are stealing that many bags saw Robles go in the sixth round to Rudy Gamble I thought Rudy crushed this I mean DeGrom Stanton Rendon Mondesi like yeah, it's all the, the sex it's well and he did such and this was actually kind of a theme of this draft I thought uh you know for the most part I mean there were a couple teams that I didn't really uh see what they were doing but uh it everyone seemed to sort of the pieces fit there was like a plan where you know Rudy gets DeGrom and Stanton that's obviously an awesome one too but then he he gets Rendon in the third and Murphy in the fifth and sandwiches Mondesi in between them and that's just you know getting that batting average base from Rendon and Murphy and he might have the guy that leads the majors in steals and Mondesi and the guy that leads the majors in home runs and Stanton I mean I think that's just a really smart way to kind of go about getting Stanton getting Mondesi and making sure that their weaknesses don't hurt you really at all because you have two guys that could hit 300 or better. Yeah, I'm with you. Last week we talked about Domingo Herman. Uh, Rob Silver got him in the RDI draft. We thought it was a good pick. Jonathan Loesiga did not go in this draft. Herman went in the 29th round. Do you think Loesiga should have gone, and is he not maybe getting enough love in redraft leagues? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a spot in this draft where he should have gone, uh, looking at some of the people that went kind of in the later rounds I think yeah he like he should have gone over a guy like Max Fried. Um, Lois Ega is really tough just because he you know the Yankees aren't planning on him being in the rotation because they just can't because of his injury history they can't really count on him for anything. Uh, there's obviously a chance I don't know if it's like a twenty five percent chance thirty percent chance that he just stays healthy all year and ends up being incredibly valuable because I think on a on a per start basis, he's a number three starter. It's just you look back his entire pro track record. Uh, durability has just been a major, major weakness for him. So, you know, on talent, he should go in a draft like this, but there's a solid chance that you don't really get anything from him. Yeah, definitely. One pick I really liked was Jose Leclerc, another Tim McLeod pick. I mean, Leclerc was just disgusting last year. I don't think there's any case for him to be going behind Rysel Iglesias, behind Sean Doolittle. I mean, I get that Doolittle's pretty good when healthy, but when when has he been healthy? It's just hard for me to justify. And Leclerc, they've cleared up any you know any issues, questions about his role. So I think he's a guy that should have gone maybe two rounds higher. Yeah, he's been I, right there in that Ozuna 
hand mix for me. Well, and he took, yeah, I was going to say, like, he took Ozuna in the seventh. I feel like you probably like Leclerc more than Ozuna. Yeah, um, I do. Do you like Leclerc more than hand? I do like hand a little bit more, but really skills-wise, they're pretty close. I mean, hand has that breaking ball, which is great, and he's he should be fine. But the skills did take a little bit of a hit. Meanwhile, Leclerc is trending way up, assuming those the walks stay in check. I kind of, you know, I I like where this Vlad Jr. market is kind of settling. It's it's pretty yeah. it's pretty nice because I think that he's there's just been enough kind of pushback, uh, and I think a lot of people in like the industry. I think this could change when the main event rolls around, but like industry people. I think a lot of them just don't want to be the person that takes like Vlad in the third round or, or whatever. And uh, like, they don't want to have to defend it or, mm-hmm. you know, on, on X serious XM radio or whatever. Um, I know, get that. And he just keeps coming. He just keeps coming to the fourth round and, and props to Jason Collette and Paul Spore for pouncing on him there. Um, you know, I think there were a handful of picks uh, where, him not going was kind of a head scratcher. Like, you know, Jamison Tyon went over him in this draft and I, you know, I love Jamison Tyon, but I, it's to the point where I just, I'm all, all the Tyon shares I'm going to have. I probably already have I, like, he's just getting pushed up to this spot where, uh, I, man, I love the guy. I just can't, I can't have a rosy enough projection of him to make him worth even like a early fourth round pick, let alone a, a late third round pick. So mm-hmm. uh, there was kind of a pocket of picks where Vlad um, not going didn't make a ton of sense to me. I thought it was, you know, there, there was just a lot of sort of deviation happening kind of in that second round and early third round of, of people going in spots where I was a little surprised and that allowed, you know, guys like Vlad, guys like Anthony Rendon, Juan Soto to to fall a little bit further than they should have. Yeah, I remember when I was doing one of my first draft champions this winter. Um, I was doing a draft and I, you know, got three hitters early. Then I got Corbin as my SP one, and I was really hoping and praying, you know, in this fifteen team league that Marquez would make it back to me. He did not. Um, I ended up with Tyone. Who do you like more between those two? Because in this in this draft, that was a, almost a four round difference, and for me, there's. Very little separating those two. I get it if you want to make the case for time given the park, but skills wise, I mean, I think I think Marquez might have the edge. Yeah, I mean, for I expected Tyone to come out ahead, uh, but after plugging in everyone's projections, uh, I actually have Marquez as a nineteen dollar guy and Tyone as a seventeen dollar guy in, in TGFBI, uh, which is the exact same format as Labor fifteen team mix and. So, yeah, I, I prefer Marquez, uh, which is, again, you know, that's why I was saying when Jeff got Marquez in the sixth, I thought he was the best pitcher. As soon as Patrick Corbin went to Stefania Bell in the fourth, I thought Marquez was the best pitcher left, and he lasted all the way to the sixth. Yeah, man, I love love the price on him still. I really thought what Splett and Core, Spolette, uh, Spore and Colette did was really impressive because they got Cano, who I think is a good bargain. They got Wilson Ramos. Uh, Jordan Hicks and Ramon Laureano, they really pumped him up over ADP. So it did the same thing with uh, Joe Musgrove. I like guys being bold like that and not being handcuffed to ADP. Yeah, the you know, the only pick of theirs I didn't like was uh, Tommy Pham in the third. Uh, it's pretty high for Pham. That, that was a couple rounds ahead of where I would have taken him. But 
Uh, yeah, I, I love that they got kind of their pitching. I, I like the way they attacked pitching because they got uh, Doolittle, Jordan Hicks, Trevor May, and I, th- I, you know, I really like Hicks and May, and and Doolittle is just kind of, you know, you you assume you're going to get steady saves from two of those three guys. I'm guessing is, is sort of their strategy there, and you're probably going to end up missing on on one, whether it be Hicks or May to someone else in that bullpen or do little to injury. Uh, but I like that they're going to be really competitive in saves and those are all, you know, pretty good strikeout guys too. So Wheeler price, those guys, it's not like they're going to win pitching, uh, but they're going to be really competitive. And then they, they have that nice offensive base that you alluded to. Yeah. I really think the back half of drafts is where the better players separate themselves. I thought sport and Colette really did a good job. Like Musgrove, Loriano, who I mentioned, Trevor may, uh, pretty good flyer to take. Jackie Bradley had pretty good numbers last year. Sonny Gray, Elias Diaz. I mean, I really think they're going to trade Cervelli sometime pretty soon. Uh, Kyle Tucker, Luke Weaver. I mean, just a lot of good upside plays there. Woodruff, Tyler O'Neill. So I liked what they did. Any final thoughts on on the labor mix draft before we move on? Uh, you know, not not really. I, I think it's the the pitching up top has kind of become a a hot topic on twitter uh lately and you know the math the math says that it's that the value is in those aces kind of kind of up there and in scherzer and Degrom, and i think you know i plugged in some of these rosters in the you know bloomfield and bloomfield who got scherzer in the fifth and rudy who got or with the fifth pick and rudy gamble who got uh jacob de they you know the the projections really like the the teams that got the aces early which is interesting and obviously you have to draft the position players after that to kind of make all those pieces fit i thought i thought ryan bloomfield did a did a really nice job in that regard uh going blackman kane puig with his first three hitters with scherzer and carrasco i mean he's got a chance to win pitching and with blackman kane and puig uh, he's got a really nice base of speed and batting average uh, to take him into kind of the middle rounds of that draft. I think that's a really nice way to, to start things off out of the five hole. Yeah, I kind of like what he did at closer too. Like not the Giles and, and Wade Davis, Davis going in the 10th, then Giles in the 11th. Just kind of non-sexy guys, some baggage. But, I mean, Wade Davis is super safe in that role, super secure. I mean, Davis probably has – or Giles probably has a ton of job security too. So I kind of like those guys as – Guys who don't have the sparkling ratios and peripherals, but probably get a bunch of saves. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting all around. I thought the glass now pick by Sheehan was good. He made a couple picks late that I really liked. Corbin Burns, as you mentioned. Um, Chad Pinder. I mean, you were kind of first on this Pinder train, but he's a guy that in AL labor, I'm hoping to get for maybe like five I, bucks. I'd be ecstatic. I think, you know, one takeaway I have is just, you know, for going into something like TGFBI or uh, even even the tout slow draft that's going to start for me next week, um, you don't have to reach for a lot of your favorite, like, middle round guys. Like, I think that that's just a takeaway. You know, if you say you have Corbin Burns – um, valued as someone that should go in like the 12th round. Uh, I don't think you should take him in the 12th round. I don't even know if you should take him in the 15th round. Just kind of wait and 
that's where you, you know, we, we've talked about this. Uh, Rob Silver does a really good job of, of touching on it in his article for the magazine. Like you win leagues by getting a ton of profit on, you know, a handful of your picks. And if you're the smartest person about like Corbin Burns and you have his projection perfect and he's going to have this awesome year, if you take him kind of where you have him valued, then that doesn't, you don't get any of that yeah, profit. Right. But if you get Corbin Burns, eight, nine, ten rounds later than you should go, then that's where you're getting that gigantic profit that's going to help uh, propel you up the standings. Yeah, I think that's really well put. I think, um, you know, when you do a draft, you you want to avoid any of those landmines up top. You kind of want to just get your a good return on those top, top uh, ten or so selections. Then you make your profit at the margins. You know what I mean? Right. And if you do, if you do the work and you put – all the time in and and you have just a really you know board that you feel really confident in it doesn't matter if somebody takes your guy like you you should have a bunch of other guys right like you you should have a a ton of guys that are your guys that you'll get like i mean you're never going to walk away from a draft 100 percent happy that you got all the guys you wanted you just have to put in all the work beforehand and you're still going to get values and and that's going to help you out into the room yeah that's what that's a problem i see and a mistake i see a lot in auction drafts people just don't know when to walk away like they just have to get their guy and it really costs them the the thing is is that the whole point of fantasy baseball is leveraging the market and out earning relative to cost so you do have to not only know the player pool but you have to know the market and game the market but I do think around pick you know three hundred or so, that's maybe when you throw ADP out the window and just get your guy. But yeah. the first three hundred picks or so, you do really have to know the market. And this this is important. Like uh, I, I really, there's no better case of it than Vlad Junior this year. Like w- like what we were talking about. Like if he's if he's going till the fourth round in some fifteen team leagues, you know, don't take him in the early second or middle second. Because subtweet, <laughs> subtweet. So nobody would ever I do get, that. No, um, what kind of idiot? <laughs> well, thing, now that I know the market, of course I would never do that. Like, but it, it's just you know, I'd I'd rather roll the dice on getting him like twenty picks later than I think he should go, and know that I might not get him, than take him exactly where I think he needs to go, and then he needs to hit my projection on him like he he can't fall short of it like and whereas if you get him in the fourth round you got a ton of wiggle room like you can he can hit 300 and and still get you there so uh that's kind of the key is just don't say like this is the draft i'm getting vlad jr in and and i'm gonna take him in the second round if i have to like that's that's fine if you if all you care about is just having fun and owning fun players that's fine uh, but if you're in a really competitive league, that's that's not necessarily how you win. Yeah, that's the whole point is just out earning relative to cost. But like, if I'm at pick 300, or let's say 350, and I see that Ryan Presley last I look had like a 480 ADP, well, I'm going to probably take Ryan Presley. Maybe I could get him, but I still think I think the word's starting to get out, and I just don't want to be handcuffed to ADP that late. Early on, I I do think it's really really wise to know it closely. Know when you can wait on a guy. Know when you have to push up a guy so you can emerge with your best team. But, James, let's move on to your Farm Futures article. NL East, 90 prospects you need to know. Great series, great work on this. Uh, again, we're not going to touch on all 90 players. That would be impossible and just unnecessary, but uh, worth spotlighting in, in the article form for sure. Uh, Austin Riley kicking things off for the Braves. There was some talk when they signed Donaldson that 
you know, why are they blocking Riley? But you feel pretty strongly that this kid could benefit from a full season of AAA. Yeah, I just I don't think it's. I think that it was a really smart signing. I think that Josh Donaldson on a one-year deal like that, uh, there's just no downside, and they would have been it would have been pretty dangerous for them to just go into this season, kind of banking on Austin Riley being an everyday player for them by like May or June. Uh, you know, there's a chance that he's ready to be that player by May or June, but then it's like worst case scenario, he's just at AAA and and biding his time. Uh, so yeah, it's it definitely hurts Austin Riley's re, redraft league value, but dynasty league value it doesn't really impact it that much at all for me. Uh, I'd rather him spend an extra month at AAA, and then when he gets to the big leagues, be 100 percent ready to to handle the the challenge. Mike Soroka, 21 year old righty, next up in that Braves farm system. And I mentioned that I like Soroka as a late flyer in that mixed labor draft, but realistically, how many innings are we looking at with Mike Soroka? That- Mike Soroka this season? Uh, it's just impossible to say because of that shoulder issue. Um, you know, the fact that they didn't, they weren't able to get him back last year. They weren't even, you know, he wasn't even fully up to speed and in instructs, you know, it was a significant shoulder uh, strain. Um, I think that, or it was shoulder inflammation. So, if he's taking it easy with him this spring, I'll just mention that. Right. And so, you know, from a workload standpoint, he can get well up over 100 innings. Uh, it's just how healthy is the shoulder this spring? Um, you know, do they – I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with him after spring training. I could see them, like, holding him back in, in extended spring training for, for maybe a couple weeks and then sending him out to AAA for – you know, a few weeks and then, then he joins the big league rotation, something like that, just to kind of, you know, ease him in, help him knock the rust off and really kind of get him in a, in a really nice groove at triple a before bringing him back to the big league so that he's ready to have success. Uh, yeah. So like, I'm not worried about him. There being like an innings cap or anything like that. I'm just worried about how many of his innings come in the big leagues. Um, and it's just, it's tough to say, cause they just have so many options as we're going to get to down this list. But um, I like him where he's going because it's it's so late that the upside is is worth it. But uh, again, I wouldn't be surprised if his like true breakout year isn't until twenty twenty. Nice, Ian Anderson next on the list. He's only twenty years old. Is he a guy that you think maybe we we see in September? Do you think we see him earlier, or maybe not until twenty twenty? Twenty twenty. They just you know in some other organizations maybe maybe you see him this year, uh, but they just have. Uh, embarrassment of riches in terms of rotation depth. So I think they're just going to take it easy with him and he'll go level to level and he'll be up early 2020. Tuki Toussaint's a guy who's kind of been all over the place in terms of prospect rankings over the years. I know you were down on him, then you're now you're kind of higher on him uh, than some others. And you, know, you look at the stuff and it's really good, but do you have concerns with him long-term and, and especially short-term? Yeah, just because the the command really isn't great and the stuff is electric, but there, it's not that tough to envision a scenario where by you know the middle of twenty twenty, the Braves have five starters who are just so, so good at what they do that it might make sense to move Tukey to the bullpen where he could just be. He'd I mean, be he, awesome. he could be a right-handed Josh Hader. He, you know, he really, really could, uh, and that there's 
a, a pretty likely scenario, I think, that eventually that's going to make the most sense for the Atlanta Braves. Outfielder Drew Waters next up on this list, and Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright. Anything you want to mention about those guys before we maybe move on to the next team? Uh, Bryce Wilson, I think, is a fascinating guy for redraft leagues. Uh, not a guy that you have to draft in in a league like Labor Mix that we just touched on, but and and there's there's not really even going to be a question. I think he's headed back to AAA after spring training. But I I love. Wilson and I think he's somebody that's going to be ready for the big leagues pretty early this year so you know we're going to have to be doing a lot of speculating whenever like the first injury happens in that Braves rotation we're going to look at the schedule at AAA and see like whose turn lines up and it's possible that Bryce Wilson comes up before Kyle Wright or before Mike Soroka this year and he's good enough to just take a take a rotation spot and run with it so I don't think you got to draft Bryce Wilson but you know, if he gets, if it looks like he's getting added to that rotation at some point in April or May, I wouldn't hesitate to be uh, fairly aggressive and fab. I want to ask you about another brave. He's he has debuted, but I think he's still he's still prospect eligible. Twenty five years old, not a guy you're going to find high on any list because he's a reliever already. But Chad Sabatka, this is a guy you have on your radar at all because he's massive at six seven. The top two arms in that bullpen had some injury issues last year. Is he a guy to maybe keep in mind for late, later in the year? Um, you know, I haven't really thought of him as a as a highly likely guy to get saves just because, you know, we've touched – like all those starting pitchers, like there's also a chance that Bryce Wilson's getting saves at some point this year. Like all those – pitchers at you know at a certain point they're going to be more valuable to the Braves in the big leagues than in the minor leagues even if there's a rotation spot open and they all have um, better stuff than uh, Sabatka I mean he's got a, a big fastball but um, you know pretty I, wild to say the least I like AJ, signed Darren O'Day too I didn't realize that yeah I, I mean I still like AJ Minter the most in that bullpen and yeah I mean him and um, this guy you know could get hurt and then maybe Sabatka comes into play, but you know, outside of AL only leagues where you're drafting all kinds of speculatory closers, uh, I wouldn't really worry about him too much. Yeah, for sure. I just look at those two guys, and I, I mean, didn't seem like Minter was himself for much of last year. But we'll see. Uh, we'll move on to Miami, and this will be short because there's not much there. Uh, Victor Victor Mesa. We talked about him last week. Then they added Sixto Sanchez. The key piece going back to them in the JT Rob Muto trade. Um, Sixto's stock has taken a bit of a hit, but do you still see frontline number one, particularly upside with him? Yeah, there's number one upside for sure. Um, that's something I would only say of, you know, four or five, six pitching prospects in the minors. He's on that short list of guys, uh, but he's also riskier than. You know, I mean, Hunter Green's probably riskier uh, than he is in terms of those just elite talents on the pitching side. But Sixo's right there uh, where, you know, if there were, if I if you asked me to bet, like, is Sixto Sanchez going to have Tommy John surgery before he pitches in the big leagues, I would bet yes. So that's heartless and maybe just reckless, some might say, to, to speculate that he's going to blow out his elbow. But... Um, I really, I really just, I think that that's that's where the smart money is, and yeah. which is, which really sucks. I don't think that's too cold hearted. <laughs> I mean, a lot of guys have it. 
probably realistic, unfortunately, for six, though. It was still a bright future. He's only 20. You know, this happens to a ton of guys. So, um, But Monty Harrison, next up on the list, I, I kind of love Monty, although the hit tool is a real big question. Nassan Diaz also acquired with Monty Harrison in the Yelich trade. Who are the other guys they got for um, Real Muto, and where do they slot in? Because I really don't know much about the secondary pieces in that deal. Yeah, Will Stewart uh, I didn't even include on this list because I think he's a number five starter, uh, maybe a middle reliever, and he's not particularly close. Um, exciting. Exciting stuff. <laughs> exciting. Very exciting. Uh, you know, this is just a – a horrific system when you factor in context like it this is the type of system i would expect a competing team to have that you know maybe hasn't traded away all their bullets you know like this is this is the type of system i'd expect like the dodgers or the brewers or someone like that to have it's not the type of system that a team that has just traded away the type of talent they've traded away should have and they you know i their draft history and part of it's bad luck but part of it i think is is on them uh they've just blown so many first round picks in recent years and they just they don't have a good track record in that regard and when you do that and they they haven't been that involved in the international market until very recently either so when you're when you're not involved on the the J2 side of things and you're blowing top 10 picks uh, it's really, really tough to to make that up via trades. So um, it, it's it's a really rough time to be a Marlins fan, and that's that's kind of obvious. Yeah, at least they got rid of the um, the monstrosity out in center field. Got a new logo. That's something. But the fact that they've busted so many picks and traded back to back MVPs for what nothing? I mean, I mean for they, they so yeah, they traded back to back MVPs. They for literally, uh, I mean. Who knows if one, even one of these we guys need, is going to Yeah, pan we need out. to like fast forward five years before we can say for sure that it was just a almost nothing return, but it could be an almost nothing return. Yeah, like that's that, insane. Man. So, uh, you know, that's a disaster. The the John Carlos Stanton one, they could have gotten a better prospect back if they had been willing to eat a bunch of that contract, but uh, you know they. They're probably lucky to get what they got, considering the deal he was on. Uh, mm. So that's that's just ownership being cheap, and you know you need ownership to to eat stuff like that if if you're kind of want to jumpstart a rebuild. Um, but you know a lot of teams would probably be as cheap as they were. So I don't want to put that all on them. But uh, the Yelich trade was a complete disaster. Uh, yeah, I mean the Marcelo Zuna trade was was a disaster. The Real Muto trade probably looks better than those two right now, but that's yeah. that's far from done. Yeah, I will say, like, Asan Diaz, I do expect to play a lot this year, so I think it'll be fantasy relevant. Second half when they trade off Starlin. Like, I can see him being a guy, but... <laughs> I don't know <laughs> where they trading Starlin to. When they release Starlin. <laughs> when they, when they, when they pay Starlin to go away. Yeah, I just see Asan Diaz as maybe being a guy who gets up and plays quite a bit I, in the I agree. Half. I mean, he, he will... He will see time in the big leagues, uh, but we'll see if that batting average is to the point where you can you can run him out there. Yeah, for what it's worth, Craig Mish, Sirius XM, who's very familiar with the team, says that he Sandia is going to play every day in the second half. We'll see. Um, we'll move on unless there's anybody else in the Marlins nope. system. Okay, Peter Alonzo kicking things off for the Mets. 
we did a poll last week on Series Six on fantasy, and you know I kind of liked Alonzo in draft season, but he finished really high on that poll of you know rookies that people expect to make an impact. And now I'm starting to think that you know Peter Alonzo, especially given the price ticking up, maybe a guy to avoid. Right. It's it's just about price. Yeah. It, like I there's a place where I would happily take Peter Alonzo, but if you know, there's a point in the draft where you and I will say, like, you know, go for some upside, you know, that, but. Yeah, um, around pick 200 or so. Right. I mean, I would take Justin Smoke over Peter Alonzo. I would probably take Carlos Santana over Peter Alonzo. Luke uh, Voigt by a good margin? By, by a lot. Uh, Jose Martinez. Yeah, I mean, Martinez is closer just because it's just such a risk in terms of playing time. Um, you know, I might, I'd probably take CJ Cron over Peter Alonzo. I mean, it's just. There's a, a ton of first basemen who aren't going to help you on average are going to hit for power that aren't sexy prospects that you can get later. Yeah, good on the Mets for having made some trades, dealt some prospects, still have a decent system here, at least top top of it. Andres Jimenez, the number two guy, 20-year-old middle infielder at double-A. Um, struggled in the fall, but what do you, what do you think of the skill set and how it will translate against big league pitching? He'll be, you know, he'll be a kind of a low end fantasy starter at either second base or shortstop. I think in his prime, uh, I don't, I'm not reading anything into his fall league. I mean, he was one of the younger guys there. And just in terms of his development, he was probably the, one of the most out of place players there. Like a lot of those guys are, you know, have already had success at double AA, a triple A or, or close to big league ready. Uh, Jimenez, I don't, I don't see getting up until 2020. So not, not worried that he struggled in the fall league, but uh, you know, I think the the package for fantasy might look a lot like a Med Rosario with a little less speed. Um, so, so you know, that's it's good. Like Med Rosario has developed into a decent player. I like Med Rosario, um, but if you take you know, eight to 10 steals off of his like peak numbers. Yeah. Then you that's, got, that's a good player. It's just not a guy that I'm like super excited about. Yeah. Then you got like maybe Anderson Simmons if you're lucky, but uh, I mean, Anderson Simmons is still a decent fantasy guy, but not a big needle mover. Uh, Mark Vientos, number three on this list, third baseman at low A. Uh, you linked to a, a tweet here and a lot of links here with some really great video. Uh, if you definitely check it out for yourself, but a uh, loud double off the wall for Vientos. And um, is this a kid who's, you know, hit tool doesn't really concern you much? Uh, you know, I think he's going to hit like 265, 270, hopefully. Uh, it's just, you know, I think he's a 30 homer bat in the making. Uh, prototypical body for a, a teenage third baseman. I think he's going to grow into big power uh he's gonna get on base a decent amount and he's gonna you know like i said slightly above average batting average interesting anything to add about ronnie mauricio or anybody else in this system yeah you know the the top five position players in this system are all really exciting uh high upside toolsy guys ronnie mauricio uh is gonna probably head to the new york pen league this year he's rail thin but has one of those frames where you just assume he's gonna grow into it and and become a offensive monster um 
Shervian Newton is another guy. Not sure where he's going to end up. You know, he's probably capable of playing third base, second base, even shortstop. Uh, but he's got 70-grade raw power, pretty good on base skills. He struck out a lot last year, but I think that he's a guy that could make improvements in that regard. And as long as the strikeout rate is around 30%, a little bit under, uh, I think he's a guy that you can project to be a middle-of-the-order hitter someday. Very nice. Well, since the Phillies traded Sixto Sanchez, uh, they now headed up by Adam Hazley, 22-year-old outfielder. What does the rest of this system look like? It's it's not in great shape, but it's you know it's fine. the The Phillies are trying to compete now, and uh, I don't I don't fault them for trading some of the guys away. But uh, they it probably hasn't been quite as bad as the Marlins, but their track record the past four years of picking really high in the draft. The Marlins, you know, part of the reason why their track record looks terrible is they took a lot of high school pitchers that blew out their elbows or, or just weren't productive. Uh, the Phillies took a bunch of hitters, and, you know, 2015, they used the 10th pick on Cornelius Randolph, who's, you know, kind of a non-prospect at this point. Uh, 2016, they used the number one overall pick on Mickey Moniak, who is a fine prospect, but with very limited upside, not what you would expect to get out of a number one overall pick uh the eighth pick in 2017 adam hazley who is kind of a low-end third outfielder for from a real life standpoint he could be good in fantasy because he could hit uh you know up up around like he could be kind of a steven piscotti type of offensive contributor which is fine um but that's that's their best of their top 10 picks from the past four years. And then their third pick last year, they took Alec Baum, whose, whose stock is down a little bit. So just they haven't really uh, done that well with these high picks. You compare that to what a team like the Minnesota Twins has done with uh, even worse picks. You know, if you look at where Kirilov, Royce Lewis, Trevor Larnack all went, uh, the Phillies have been picking on average higher than the Twins, and the Twins have just nailed all three of those. And the Phillies might go 0 for 4. Um, at best, I, I could see them maybe going 2 for 4. But uh, when you miss on, on that many really high picks, it's it's tough. And so after Hazley, there's some guys with upside, some guys that are exciting, but the ones with the most upside come with a ton of risk, and there's not a ton of guys with particularly high floors. Yeah, that's really crazy man how how many they how many picks that they missed them they're still in pretty good shape and they got they got nolan that drafted aiken went first right yeah and they I, just signed nolan to an extension today which i thought was a brilliant move i did kind of cherry pick like so the draft right before cornelius randolph they took aaron nola yeah. so that they obviously hit that one but, but since then since yeah, then yeah. It, it's been pretty bad yeah hopefully the reds you know they had that i forget his name nick something that really nick howard, <laughs> nick your, howard. Your, your boy good grief why do you got to keep bringing up Nick Howard? Poor guy probably know, just wants to go hide under a rock somewhere. <laughs> it's just crazy how the first-year player draft is just, you know, it happens every year, and you're like, yeah, these guys seem pretty good. But it's crazy how the good teams really do separate themselves, just like in fantasy uh, in the amateur draft. The years those, like the Cardinals had some of those crazy drafts in like the early 2010s, 2009. The Astros nowadays just knocking things out of the park. It's really the the best way I think probably aside from international signings, um, I, I do think the draft is still the best way to build. Uh, the Nationals, I mean, they got Victor Robles, but who else in the system 
really excites you. <laughs> so, I you know, Victor Robles obviously is going to lose his prospect eligibility very early this season. And I think there's a chance that this might be the worst system in baseball after he graduates, even with Luis Garcia and Carter Keboom being top 50 prospects. Like, it, it's that bad after those two guys. And I, I don't... I can't recall a time where uh, a team would have had two top 100 prospects, let alone two top 50 prospects, and would have still been in the mix for the worst system in baseball. But that's how bad it is. After uh, you know, I have Garcia at two, who I love, and and Kibum at three. I mean, those are two really good prospects. You know, then at four, Mason Denneberg, who you know, high upside prep arm they took in last year's draft. Uh, the stuff might have peaked when he was in high school. We, it hasn't come all the way back. He dealt, uh, I think he dealt with some minor minor issues and uh, didn't pitch after signing. But, you know, he's a lottery ticket. And then the fifth best guy on this list is a catching prospect who hasn't even debuted at low A yet in Israel Pineda. I mean, that's that's pretty bad when you're Oof. you're putting a, a short season catcher, bat first catcher, uh, nonetheless, at at fifth in the system, so it's it's rough. I mean, the the Nationals are going to be competitive this year. They're going to be competitive for the foreseeable future, but uh, it's the cupboard is is close to bare down on the farm. Well, James, as always, great stuff. We appreciate all the work you put in here. Farm futures, NL East, ninety prospects you need to know. Check out the whole series for yourself. Rotowire.com/slash/pod for a free ten day trial. James going to finish it off with our next entries into the list of memorably bad hip-hop singles. Shout out to Andrew Redding for starting a new Spotify playlist. Cracked me up seeing this. And then it says, a playlist featuring Buster Rhymes and Cypress Hill. And guess what? You're going to be adding Smiles and South Star to the mix this week. Uh, their hit single, Tell Me, still sticks out in my head, you know, mainly just because you know, even at the time they were kind of a joke. And they, it did end up being a one-hit wonder, but I think it was maybe like the summer of 2001, um, watching uh, music videos at my dad's house. This song really stuck with me. So <laughs> Smiles and South Star Tell Me is my latest entry in the memorably bad hip-hop singles. What do you got? All right, so this is, you know, I'm, I'm here to stir stuff up. Uh, this is pretty controversial, but... I really don't like – well, before I even say this, uh, you know my, my favorite rapper is Jay-Z. Mm. Who do you think my second favorite rapper is? Biggie. Yeah. So, you know, this 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 hurts me as a – Oh, a big, Biggie song? A big Biggie fan. I really don't like the song Big Papa. Wow. And that, I think you did tell me this once over some drinks, but I couldn't believe it. I, I just think it's a – corny lame bad song uh something been like co-opted by i'm people. just i'm just not into it at all really and uh yeah i mean you can send your hate tweets uh i i'm Memorably fine with it <laughs> <laughs> i'm fine that was with really it. an indictment on that song. yeah uh i mean i will i will cape for biggie's body of work all day long i you know i'm Biggie over Tupac. I, I'm, uh, 
you know, bad boy, bad boy records. I'll, I'll stick up for it just because of Biggie. Um, uh, but that, that song is just not one of my favorites. Yeah. I think my list is going to have a lot more of the same, a lot of the, that's the scrub type. Well, so, so yeah, yeah I want to try to mix in some look, big names. I, I mean, it'd be really <laughs> easy to just, you know, have all 10 of Ja Rule's singles as like the, you know, t- but you can go that know, route I'm, I'm trying know. to, I'm trying to mix it up and, and get a little uh, controversial. Yeah. I might have to throw some shockers into, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm going to have quite a bit of Soldier Boy, probably some Bow Wow. Sure. Some Jaw for sure. But I'll, I'll try to mix it in with some Shockers. Um, there's definitely some mainstream artists that I'm not a fan of. So, you know, Kanye might make an appearance on this list. We'll see. But, uh, James, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you guys listening. We'll check you next week on the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.